This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm Raghu Marcus. I just got back from India a couple of weeks ago. This is the first uh, podcast uh, for this Ramdas Here and Now podcast that I've done since I came back and uh, feeling refreshed and completely overwhelmed. I could hardly even walk into a uh, supermarket, into Whole Foods. It was like a blast of energy that was way beyond, although very happy to be there eating that wonderful food. Uh, other love Indian food, but, uh, you know. Anybody who wants to uh, hear a little bit about my trip, it, I went to some pretty interesting places and so on. Uh, I did a podcast that I was interviewed by my buddy David Silver for the Mind Rolling Podcast. You go to mindrollingpodcast.com and you'll see the India podcast. And um, so I won't get into it here except to say that I'm happy to be back. And I went out and found, uh, when I came back... Uh, it's it's a, a talk that Ramdas gave uh it's way back when. I was thinking, gee, this is even this is March of nineteen sixty nine, part of that Bucks County series that did make up a lot of it made up be here now eventually the transcriptions anyhow. So I thought to myself, gee, uh, didn't we already play all these? I mean, I've done a, you know, I did a bunch of podcasts in the beginning of the Here and Now series. And they, you know, a number of them were from that time. And, uh, and, you know, I'm always worried about, uh, duplicating, although, uh, you could almost say, not almost say, I could very well say that, especially, in those days when Ramdas was just back from the first time he went to India, which this lecture is part of that, uh, two and a half, three year, uh, uh, tour that he did all over the place, uh, that he might have said, you know, told similar stories. His coming out of Harvard with Harvard with Leary and all that. Uh, but each time it had a different tone. Anyhow, not to get too far into this, uh, I don't believe that I myself ever heard this lecture in this particular way. Uh, and, and the, it starts out with this, uh, incredible story of his, uh, STP trip. So back then, uh, there was this drug called STP, which, was like acid for about three days, okay? I mean, uh, I did remember, uh, I did do it once, and I remember the trip, and uh, it was, it's the kind of thing that, oh, isn't this great? And, you know, you, you get way out there. It's way slower rising than acid. It's not as, you know, smash you in the face right away kind of deal. Uh, ego wise. So, uh, it, uh, the next day, all I, I remember the next day, I was sitting at my, uh, friend's, uh, house at his mother's dinner table, and she was giving us dinner, and, uh, she was serving spaghetti that was, and then I stopped. <laughs> this spaghetti is like moving and becoming like snakes in front of me, and they went, Oh my God, I am still way stoned. So that's STP. Now, of course, Ramdas, he probably took like way more than I got at that time because, uh, 
he got uh, put up against the void right away. All right. And uh, so he he was and he was doing a lot of it. It wasn't like he just did it once. He was he did lectures still on uh, on STP. Maybe it was uh, he was on the STP and it lasted so long it ran into one of his lectures. So he says it's it was as if the adventure had gone out of life. Everything became dead, flat, void, empty. So he just came to to that edge. And um, he said the whole audience got zonked. <laughs> Nobody could move. But the experience frightened him. You, you know, he was like, what reality did I tune into that seemed so empty and dead? You know, what reality had I gone to? Uh, so it, it was not a positive experience. It was like getting at um, the core of a deadness and a void like that had did not have its opposite which is fullness and joy and so on so he he got stuck and i you know and i we can all relate a little bit about getting stuck on a psychedelic um especially this one so what he did was uh he went to uh, new mexico to taos and he he thought, well, let me fast and do it out in the desert. And he got to the same place, you know, that same empty place. It all just returned where he got hit a wall. And then I guess, what was he saying? He was barely hanging on to the bumper of his car like there was no ground whatsoever. And, and he just, you know, like many of us, we've gotten to the point where we just go... Okay, well, now what? <laughs> you know? And in this uh, sense, he talked about, I mean, what he eventually did was he said, and this too. And how he talks about what and this too is. And I remember back then in these lectures that he gave, he talked a lot about and this too and that too. And it's, it's in the way of thinking about things. Um, it's about embracing the 10,000 horrible visions, which is a Tibetan thing, and the 10,000 beautiful visions. And it's only when he said, only when I said, and that too, that the symptoms of blockage got release. And the energy I tuned into, it's the energy, he said, I, the energy that I could not tune into. That could not process the energy I tuned into. I could not process in my system. It just, it just actually reverberated so high, um, so much, and uh, you know he just was shuddering. But when I said, "And this too," then there was a transformation, and that transformation is about acceptance. So I love this uh, analogy, and you know, I mean, we can all relate. Um, many of us who've done psychedelics, of course, this is, this is, uh, this is what happens. And it's only, you know, I will embrace this. I will become one with the stars. And then that was the poetic analogy that he, uh, that, that came to him in that moment. And that was the moment where he saw the dawn and, uh, you know, he saw the light, uh, literally. So, um, I think it's, this is, you know, really getting at what, when we talk about emptiness and, you know, the Tibetan Tibetan tradition talks about this 
uh, a lot and um and it is about but it's not about void in this case ramdas hit that wall and he you know through stp and he could no long he could not process this this vast energy and so it just absolutely hit a wall and it was only when you allowed that to to be did you get the other side uh, again from total emptiness is uh is is complete fullness is complete joy it's peace it's it's everything but it has its counterpart and the acceptance part of this whole thing i think is just a tremendous uh, um part of this lecture uh, other things uh, that were talked about is misunderstanding of of getting free of of attachments and interpreting it as a way of avoiding life uh, the journey is about totally embracing life, but doing it with non-attachment, which falls directly into what he's talking about here, about going on this trip and getting stuck. And, you know, getting stuck is, is attachments and uh, and understanding uh, what getting free of attachments. I think that's a, an incredibly important uh, part of being able to say, and this too, and that too, embracing it all. I mean, that's only possible dealing with uh, in, attachment, you know, attachment to body, which is one of the first things that when you take a psychedelic, you start to lose. Um, what else is here? Yeah, by embracing the 10,000 horrible and the 10,000 beautiful visions that you go through the doorway once you allow this to happen and once you do embrace everything uh the good and the bad then you go through the doorway of nature to go beyond nature at the same time as being fully in it and and he he talks uh, several times about you see this is all a very paradoxical this concept and it's and it's very hard for mind to grasp this thing and it's it's but it, it it is so very important which is why i thought when i hit upon this lecture i thought well this this is great great information material stuff to think about uh and um uh i really 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 love this uh this uh, i'm i'm actually going to i'm going to what i do here is i listen to you know, sections of this so that we come up with, uh, you know, a very focused uh, uh, topic and, and so on. So in this case, it is that. And then I want to see what else is in this lecture. I think the next part he talks about is service, which is uh, uh, extremely another, you know, big part of what uh, Ramdas brought back uh, from the East is the, you know, concepts of service and doing it from true compassionate heart and uh, not from, you know, places of attachment, which again, part of this lecture is, you know, he does talk about that. And uh, let's listen to it. I could go on, but I won't. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, uh, appreciate you all, uh, the kind of support that we've been getting. Um, you know, we are going to be uh, working on a... Uh, on furthering our our digital searchable digital media library of the last forty five years is not just Ramdas it's Ramdas and lots of people and represents you know who we are 
coming from Neem Karoli Baba in in the late 60s, starting with Ramdas. And uh, so we're going to have a wonderful, fun kind of contest thing to win a retreat with Ramdas uh, through a, an organization called the Urgency Network, which I'm going to talk more about next time because it'll be happening in, in October. And uh, um, yeah, so uh, love your support. We, we need it. We need it to keep being able to do everything from this podcast to, you know, everything that happens uh, with Ramdas through books, media, uh, just uh, the whole gamut of, of getting all of this stuff digitized and available to me, to, uh, to everybody and me too. Ramdas, here and now. One day in mid-morning, a nobleman ran into Solomon's judgment hall, his face pale with anguish, his two lips blue. Solomon said to him, Sir, what has happened? Azrael, the angel of death, said the man, has looked upon me so angry and baleful. Well, what is your wish? asked Solomon. Declare it, said the man. Command the wind, O Lord Protector, to transport me hence unto Hindustan. It may be that coming there your slave will save his soul alive. Solomon ordered the winds to bear him swiftly over the water to the depths of Indus. The following day, when his court was in session, Solomon spoke to Azrael thus. Did you look on that true believer so balefully to drive him a wanderer far from home? Said Azrael. When did I look on him balefully? I beheld him with astonishment as I passed by, for God had commanded me, saying, This very day seize you his spirit in Hindustan. I said to myself in wonder, Even though he had a hundred wings, for him to be in India this day is a far journey. From whom shall we flee? From ourselves? Impossible. From whom shall we snatch ourselves? From God? How impious. Here we are, were we to flee to Hindustan, 
here we are. When I close my eyes, I'm in the temple in the Himalayas. My back against the wall of the cave. <laughs> I'm in my cabin in New Hampshire. It's all here, it's always here. Always right at the same place. After having been in the temple for many months in India, I went by bus to Delhi and got on a plane and flew to Tokyo and after a few weeks in Kyoto flew to Honolulu and flew to Los Angeles and flew to Boston and drove to New Hampshire. And all the time as all this was happening it was as if nothing were happening whatsoever. I was staying in exactly the same place. First time I experienced this timeless, spaceless quality, several years back, a chemical called STP. I found myself in a, in a silent booth. And I saw the drama of life going on around me as if it were a series of still photographs, including my own life, my own part of the drama. And I had taken this chemical and it had put me in this place. And I felt a great sense of loss. It was as if you knew you were never going to pick up a mystery book that you were not going to know the ending already for. It was as if the adventure had gone out of life. The smell had gone out of the rose. It was all dead. This flat, silent, void, empty, nothing.
and I recall turning to my friend who had given me the STP and asking him who controlled this dimension of reality that I was in. It was total paranoia. Who runs this? Who, whose power am I under? And he looked at me with laughing eyes and he said, mine. <laughs> and the next day I had to deliver a lecture and I went to this lecture thinking that all this chemical would be worn off by then but in fact it was to last a number of days and I got up in front of the audience and I was in a silent booth and it was all happening like still photographs all around me. And speaking started and it came somewhere out of the bowels and I watched with great awe and wonder and disbelief as the whole evening went right in front of me like a like I was looking through a spectroscope. The end of the lecture, nobody moved. I don't think anybody could move. It was as if we were all sitting there in a t state of total zonk, I guess is the only way I can describe it. And I, uh, it frightened me, the experience frightened me, and I stopped lecturing after that because I didn't know what, I, what had happened to me, what I had tuned in on, what reality I had gone to. because it seems so empty and dead to me. So nothing, nothing. Later it wore off. Then I thought, well, this chemical certainly is something. I better find out what it really is about and certainly New York City is not the place to do it. So I went out in the desert in Taos, New Mexico. Took my old school bus and drove out in the desert. And I fasted for four or five days. Way, way out, away from all people. 50 miles away from anybody. And then at sunset, I took the same chemical again. And I went to the same place again. But this time, not so much was happening. Bob Dylan wasn't singing the Memphis end of the Mobile Blues again. 
I was there under the stars. And right in the middle of that place, I was saying, oh, I'm here again. Mm. This horrible place. And then in that moment of timeless moment, I said, yes, and this too. And immediately it turned into something else. Immediately it turned into something else. We developed some instructions some years ago for the use of psychedelics, which I later noted that the Beatles used in their turn off your mind, float downstream. Turn off your mind, float downstream. Embrace the 10,000 horrible visions and the 10,000 beautiful visions. Embrace life, go through it. Embrace it all. Be one with it all. It was only when I said, and that too, that I got rid of another symptom that I had. And that symptom was a symptom that I had had many hours in that trip in the desert, which was a, a symptom of extraordinary energy in my body that was blocked so strongly that uh, being the scientist that I am, I had, of course, gone to the desert with my brown rice and moo tea and tape recorder. And the tape of that evening, that night, I just left the tape going on the hood of the bus. I couldn't move from the bumper of the bus. I had to hold on to the bumper because there was no land around me. It was just complete nothing. Void everywhere. And there were many times I would scare myself. You know, I was holding on saying, this is just a drug, it'll wear off, it'll go away. I mean, I, just because I'm away from everybody, it's all right. And I'd look and there'd just be big chasms of nothing everywhere. <laughs> but the interesting thing about the tape, since I never said anything all night long, yet the tape is not blank. The tape is full of a sound that sounds very much like this. <laughs> Maybe six hours of that. <laughs> and what that was, was energy that I had tuned in on that I could not pass through my system. It was as if I had, I had pushed a receiver button and so a lot of energy came in, but then I didn't know what to do with it. And I couldn't do it, I just could sit in a kind of a shaking state. But then I noticed that when I said yes and this too, I will embrace this, I will become one with the stars. And then I saw the, that false light of dawn before the sun, that early light. 
and I went through my whole trip about light and about the Hebrew tradition and about each man must have his light and about keeping the, the light going in the tabernacle and the inner light and for the first time in that moment I embraced my own tradition of Judaism I saw my tradition as part of a heritage part of, a tr part of something that I was involved with I, um, in a way, digress to tell all of this because we have been discussing a great deal about getting free of attachment to life. And last evening we talked about the the misunderstanding of getting free of attachment and interpreting it somehow as a way of avoiding life. <coughs> While in fact the journey is one of totally embracing life but doing it with complete non-attachment. This may seem paradoxical to you until you have meditated long about the matter. There is a line from Hakuin's poem, Zazen Wasan, the Japanese process of performing Zazen. It says, when you understand that thought is the thought of the thoughtless, your singing and dancing is no other than the voice of the Dharma. Your singing and dancing in life is no other than the path to enlightenment. That everything you're doing in life is part of an extraordinarily beautiful divine dance. And in a way, it's only by embracing the 10,000 horrible visions and the 10,000 beautiful visions that you go through the doorway of nature to go beyond nature at the same time as being fully in it. All sound paradoxical? of a sect which is the sect of servants my name is Ram Das Das means servant and Ram is an incarnation of God now coming from a middle class family in Boston we've had servant problems 
I mean, how do you keep a good retainer? How do you keep a good, a good worker? Somebody who will clean up the house, clean the dishes, be friendly, be happy, be paid as little as possible, keep their place, eat in the kitchen, have their own personal life, but don't let it intrude. It's all right for Thursday nights off and every other Sunday. That was the world I grew up in about servants. And interminably, my mother used to discuss on the phone the servant problem. And then there was a movie I recall seeing called The Servant. A movie in which the servant with his exquisite intellect controls the master and ultimately destroys him. And it had, in a way, the essence of the Western model of servant and master. That is the role of competition, power struggle. The servant gets as much as he can from the master, and the master gives as little as he can to the servant while getting as much as he can from the servant. How strange I should end up as a servant in a servant's sect, thinking all those things. The model of the servant is Hanuman. Hanuman is a monkey. This is a Western representation of Hanuman. Hanuman is in the story of the Ramayana. And In this story, Ram, who is God, has been sent off to the jungle with his wife and his brother for 14 years. And the wicked Ravana wishes to get the wife, since she is the perfect wife. They have the perfect marriage. Every girl in India always wants to be Sita. And every marriage ceremony has the symbology of Sita and Ramana. And so he produces, he goes to a magician, and the magician makes herself into a deer that's made of jewels. And Sita looks at the deer and she says to Ram, would you get that for me and let me have it as a pet? And Ram goes off to get it for Sita. And while he's gone, uh, the bad Ravana comes in the form of a holy man and he spirits Sita away. And he takes her to an island and he holds her captive there because uh, she won't make it with him. Because she's very pure. 
And he says he's going to kill her, and she says the sooner the better, because then she'll be re reunited with God, who's her husband. <laughs> and it's a very complicated story because the bad guy is really a good guy just fulfilling a bad incarnation and he's hoping he'll be killed by Ram that's one of the reasons for stealing Sita because if you get killed by God you immediately become enlightened <laughs> so it's not a simple story by any means and um, Ram is um, quite uptight in his incarnation. See, it's a, this funny level business in these stories is very important, by the way. I'm not just passing the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> How do you like that? There's one point, and this is all, it all comes together somewhere in my head. <laughs> I hope it will in yours. At one point in the story, Ram is out in the woods and he meets these uh, uh, Nagas, these naked ascetics, and they say to him, um, Gee, Ram, you've got to help us out because the demons are really bugging us and we can't do our meditation. And your God, would you get rid of the demons first? Now, Ram is God, but he's also in an incarnation. It's like Christ saying to his mother, don't bother me, woman, don't bug me, it's not my time yet. No. I mean, I'm just a carpenter. So Ram says, I can't, and he says, I'll go to see my guru and see if I can get a mantra that will exalt the demons, that will wipe out the demons. So he travels many days and he comes to his guru and he says to the guru, he bows down at the feet of the guru and the guru bows down at his feet and everybody's bowing to everybody else and there's all these levels going. Since the guru spends all his time worshipping Ram and Ram spends all his time honoring the guru. See, that's the trip. And Ram says to the guru, would you give me a mantra to wipe out these demons? And the guru says, look how silly. You're God. You know, you are the mantra. You're the demons, you're the whole works. And then right in the middle of the sentence, the guru remembers and he says, oh, I forgot we're in an incarnation. And you're Ram, this nice young guy, and I'm your guru. And of course I'll give you a mantra. He gives them a mantra, he wipes up the demon. Now that's... At that point, the guru says, you honor me by allowing me to serve you this way. You're helping me by letting me serve you. That's a clue to the servant problem we're discussing. So Ram now is very distraught because Sita's gone and he goes out and hunt of search of Sita, his wife, and he finally comes to the kingdom of the monkeys. 
And the head of the monkeys makes a deal with Ram and says, I'll put all my monkeys at your disposal and we'll find Sita wherever she is because I'll, I'll, if all my monkeys don't find her, I'll kill them all. And he puts the whole thing under the control of Hanuman, who is his chief monkey. Hanuman is very, very pure and in a previous incarnation was somebody else, which will complicate the story unnecessarily. <laughs> leave that for you to delve into if you want to read the Ramayana. But Hanuman becomes the pure and total servant of Ram. In other words, he dedicates his entire life, existence, feeling, breath, spirit, heart, the whole works to run. And in every picture that is ever shown of Hanuman and Ram, it always shows Hanuman kneeling at the feet of Ram, touching the foot of Ram. And it is said that Hanuman was so close to Ram that he became the breath of Ram. The breath of Ram. The relation of my guru to Ram is one of perfect service. He is the servant of Ram. And I'll tell it to you, although you won't believe it, my guru is a reincarnation of Hanuman. And as a perfect servant of Ram, he is totally selfless. Now see, in order to understand this, you've got to break through your entire model of servants. Because always you think of servants as egos. As the servant playing the game of servant in order to get something for himself. But imagine now the relation of servant and master, which is one of total surrender. So that the servant's only joy in life is in serving the master. Well, we go through enough trips from the old days of the Deep South movies to have certain mixed feelings about that. Of Well, what is that, slavery? Or is that like some kind of suppression of individuality? But the way it works has to do primarily with cosmic energy. Ram is pure light, pure energy, pure consciousness. He's like the sun. Now, there is a meditation that is done in India. I started to do it, but I am not yet able to totally do it. My guru brother can do it. I can do it part way. 
There is a meditation where you start at sunrise and you look directly into the sun with your eyes open and for the 12 or hours or so that the sun is out, you follow its course directly across the heavens, never closing your eyes, never taking your eyes off the sun. A few years ago, there was an article, a series of articles, about the horrors of LSD. <laughs> and one of the stories about the horrors of LSD was that some students at Santa Barbara College had damaged the retina of their eye by looking directly into the sun while under LSD. And they had done irreparable damage. This is the most exquisite example of what it means to tune in on higher energy when there is still ego going versus when one is in the egoless state. The only way you can look at the sun all day long without in any way damaging your physiological system is if there is no you if you are not looking at the sun. If you are not looking at the sun, although your eyes are open and you are with the sun all the way across. And this is the secret of tuning in on higher energy forces in the universe. It is, again, the paradox I keep telling you about all the time, that you get it all when there's no you to have it. This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas' work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you.